Hello, and this is Tanya Smart, part of the Smart Chronicles. Today I am joined by Bilal Muhammad. He is an award-winning poet, writer, and spoken word artist who now lives in Savannah, Georgia, uh, after more than a decade in Southeast Georgia. He has read his work in major U.S. cities, several high schools, and colleges. His poetry has been recognized by the International Library of Poetry. He received the Editor's Choice Award in 2003, 2004, and 2005 for his poetic artistry. He is a writing fellow for Deep Center, mentoring young writers, poets, and authors. While perfecting his craft, he has worked as a police officer for 27 years, which makes Bilal an interesting artist. He shares his perspective as a police officer in his work. So welcome. How are you today, Bilal? Oh, I'm doing great. Doing great. Um, got off work about two hours ago. Doing great. <laughs> I won't keep you too long. So um, I, I was uh, speaking with you a couple minutes ago about the, the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast. There are many reasons I've known you for nearly 20 years. And I know you through the poetry community here in Jacksonville, uh, when you used to come here and, and visit and the Jacksonville poets would go to Georgia as well. And we built a community. And so I've always been interested in getting your perspective on uh, the police work, the duality of your role. And especially now in the climate that we're in with, with the protests, with the more heightened awareness of um, some of the, the altercations, altercations with police officers and, and African-Americans. And so I, I've always wanted to get uh, your perspective on how you are able to navigate that landscape and, and create a balance in your life being a police officer and an African-American as well. And then you have other roles as a community activist and you're an artist. So let's let's start from the, start from the beginning in terms of um, your role as a police officer and what, what it is that you do in Savannah as a police officer? Oh, good question. Um, my role as a police officer being uh, African-American, as you say, it's, it's, um, it's tough. Um, I started in Philadelphia, and of course the community that I serve um, was 60. 65,000 African-Americans that resided in the city, in the district that I served. So I was always um, around myself. So I didn't run into too much tension as far as racial issues. Um, but I ran into the the backlash of, you know, being called Uncle Tom um, from my own people, um, thinking that I'm, you know, I'm working for the government and keeping them in check. Um, as we spoke before, my sole purpose was to change the perspective of um, the community towards police and what we're here to do as far as serving them. And in my five years in the Philadelphia Police Department and working in the 22nd District, I believe I accomplished that um, by showing the people that I was there for them, not just to um, put handcuffs on them and um, be a part of that system from high school to prison pipeline or from school to prison pipeline. Um, that wasn't my purpose, although I of course made several arrests while I was while I was employed as a Philadelphia Police Department, but which you know that's gonna happen because I was working in the city that's predominantly black, um, dealing with gentrification, poverty level was low. Um, so of course the young black males felt that the only way they could survive were to commit criminal activities. And when they do that, of course, they're going to encounter the police officers. 
and doing that as a black officer, of course, again, they call you Uncle Tom, but I'm only doing my job as far as maintaining the peace. And you should do your job by finding you a job if you can. I mean, it was plenty of jobs out there. I guess they didn't want the job that was there. They would rather go ahead and sell drugs and um, either steal vehicles and so forth. Um, how do you find balance there? Being someone who is proud to be African-American, uh, but you're also proud to be a police officer and you're having to deal with getting the, being called these names. And you, you're wanting to be a positive influence in that environment, but the perception is different. It's completely opposite. How do you find balance there? Because that has to wreak havoc on the psyche. Oh, sure. I found balance um, in my personality and my character because I knew who I were. I knew how I was and what my mission was. And my, like I said, my mission was to prove to them that, you know, I'm there for them. Whether they received it that way or not, um, those that I put handcuffs on, but I believe me, the community did. Because um, I, I talked to several um, community members and they were happy to see me. Of course, these are the ones that weren't doing um, negative things. Um, they pretty much were glad that I was in the community. What's going on with my phone? Oh, let me turn my phone off. They were happy to see me, but juggling that act, being a police officer and a black man in, in the community that I, where I served, 99% um, African Americans that lived in the 22nd district. It, it was tough at times, especially my first two years, but it, it got better over the time because I dealt so much in the community. I mean, I ended up coaching um, football while I was there, so they saw me a lot in the community. Um, so they knew that I was there for them and start accepting me after about my rookie, my rookie year, after my second year. They started accepting more because I was in the community. I was invited to um, many um, community um, uh, outlets, such as they had barbecues, they would invite me. Um, they even um, were catered to my diet. Once they found out you know, that I wasn't a meat eater, when they invited me, they, you know, they would make sure I had food there. So I mean, I, I reached them pretty much by just, been a um, proud example of what a black man should be um, in the community, in uniform. So, have you ever found yourself off duty and being out there in the community and, and not necessarily part of a protest, but maybe part of a, a rally or a discussion or anything along those lines where there is uh, some really, uh, Trying to make sure I choose the right word. So, have you ever been in a situation where you're you're in your civilian clothes, you're in the community, um, but you're also you're you're being a civilian, and maybe you're out there expressing some concerns that are similar to the concerns of the community, and this these concerns are um, in reference to the treatment of of that community by the the police department. Oh yes. I've been invited to several community functions. Um, 
One in particular that I can remember, and I still actually um, give this class to this very day, um, is police encounters. Um, I used to teach, and like I said, I still teach how to respond when you encounter a police officer. Mm -hmm. And the three, the three main ways that you encounter a police officer is on foot, you know, um, in your vehicle, and at your house, um, officers come to your house for the search warrant. So I used to always give this class and try to give the community the perspective of how they should respond to me. And that's with respect. One, you should keep your emotions intact. And, um, you know, especially nowadays, like you said, the climate up today, but it's been like that, you know, when I was a young officer in the 90s. Um, the climate that we always lived in was we didn't trust the police. We always felt that the police was harassing us. So when you when you do encounter police, it's like you have a chip on your shoulder, mm -hmm. and so you allow your emotions to respond in this, in, instead of your intellect, and that's where the problem lies. And with that, when you respond in an aggressive way, the officer is going to return that aggression because he feels though that he has to control the scene, and then that's where that issue comes where officers putting their hands on you or nowadays you know putting a knee on your neck or, or shooting you in the back that's their response you know some officers respond in that manner but i will always try to tell them you have to keep your emotions intact do not reach do not make any sudden movements do not exit the vehicle unless the officer tells you to but at the same time i would tell you you know make sure you keep an eye on the officer's name, badge number, car, car vehicle number. So if anything does happen, you can go ahead and start the process of filing a complaint if you felt that you was treated unjustly. And those are the things that I used to try to um, give those in the community when I give that class. And like I said, I still give it to this very day. I mean, it has been updated to suit the time, but um, it's just police encounters, how to respond to police officers. And that, like I said, that's the topic that right now, especially if we was in school today, I would probably get that first day in school, first first assembly that I can, I would probably give that presentation because exactly what just happened with George Floyd. But I mean, not just George, but the last incidents that we just had. Matter of fact, we just had a shooting here in Georgia. Um, police officer um, pursued a guy for a broken tail light and actually killed him. Uh, this was actually a Georgia State Trooper. I mean, I don't know what happened reason why he pulled his gun out, but he pitted the car. Next thing you know, the man in the car shot in the head and died on the scene. You know, I, I never pursued anyone just for a tag light. Uh -huh. I don't know why officers do it. It's a vehicle violation. <laughs> you can just go ahead and call the, call the pursuit off and, and go about your business, especially if you already ran the tag. It's going to come back to whoever owns the vehicle, and you can go from there. Okay. But some officers feel though, you run from me, I got to catch you. Uh, I never did that. And what what was the community's response to your suggestions on on how to act once you've been uh, pulled over and how to respond to that? It was something of positive and negative response. I mean, um, the negative response, you know, it's, it's coming from the same element that think that, you know, they're out there doing shady stuff and should not be checked when they are doing it. But for the most part, you know, especially the mothers, the mothers thank me 
for um, sharing that type of information, especially the mothers of young black males, because you know they want their their son to come home. And like I said, this was happening back in the '90s. Um, you know, you know, officers shooting young black males. It just didn't get as much publicity as it does today. But it's it's been happening ever since I've been on the police force. Just not in the in the numbers that they are happening now. But they were they were receptive and thanked me on um, for giving that presentation. They thought I was um I guess um, took a lot of courage to give that type of presentation, knowing that I'm a police officer and I'm telling you how to respond to me. But it's in a positive um positive manner. It's nothing um that my superiors didn't agree on. I mean, because of course I got to present that to them before I present it to the community. You know, my captains and them, they was they were acceptive and receptive of my presentation. Because I wasn't giving them any information that I that I didn't that I weren't allowed to give. I mean, you can find the information anywhere. I mean, it's free to the public if you just look long, you know, you can especially now. I mean, the internet wasn't as big as it, big then as it is now. But you can go on the internet and find information on encounters with police officers. I mean, because it's a presentation I think that's given across the country by many police officers. Yeah. There's. Uh, do you know the actress Tisha Campbell? She used to be uh, Gina on Martin. Oh yes. Uh, yeah, I believe her brother's a police officer, and he has some. Uh, he's been posting some uh, some videos online for for community, for African-American men and African-American women, to people in general just trying to give them a demonstration on how to actually respond when you're pulled over, um, if a police officer approaches you with a gun. So I, I saw that video, a couple of those videos last week, so that was interesting. She was reposting those videos on, mm -hmm. online. I believe her, her, her brother is a, a brother or cousin, is a police officer or, or a state trooper. So that was, that was interesting. Did you feel like you were, retaliated against at all for your role, your work in the community and, and that being somewhat of an educator, were you retaliated against by the community or by the police force? Oh, no. It's, I'm, I will say this. I don't think it's been publicized um positivity as far as police are concerned where that's things that since i've been policing that we always did we we went into the community um you had community um, oriented police officers in philadelphia when i started um we had we had community um relation officers in st mary's so we were always in the communities so so it was there it just wasn't as big i mean it's, it's much bigger now but um, we even had our own little van that we drove around in, you know, community police officers um, in Philadelphia. So we, we did a lot in the community. So we didn't get too much backslash. I mean, other than the fact that, man, you know, your fellow officers, man, I ain't no community cop. I, you know, you get that type of backlash, but nothing serious. You know, like, man, I, I'm here to do a job. I ain't here to talk to the community. That's the stuff that you would get. But it wasn't nothing to deter you from going out there and trying to be um, a positive role model in the community and trying to be a part of the community because truthfully we come from the community. So I can't police people that I don't know. Uh, the only difference in Philadelphia is we could not um, be in the same precinct that you live because uh, they felt that you'd be a conflict of interest. I guess if I was to pull you over because I know you, I may not give you a ticket. You know, those, but I, I didn't um, uh, patrol the area that I lived in 
But ironically, the area that I was assigned to, I pretty much grew up in. So, so I still knew a lot of the people in that community because people I grew up with still lived there. You know, and I think that made it easy for me to do my community relations because a lot of them was familiar with me. You know, a lot of them. I mean, I grew up in that neighborhood. Like I said, it was just ironic. Say, wow, I grew up here. You know, so, so I knew, I mean, like I said, I knew so many people that lived in the community that I, um, I served. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that you know, it made it an easy transition for me in the community. Yeah, and so when I met you in early 2000s, you were working as a police officer in St. Mary's and now you're in Savannah. Um, let's, let's talk about a little, let's talk a little bit about the community work that you've done in St. Mary's and in, in Savannah in terms of working with the youth. I know right now you're working at the nonprofit organization uh, Deep Center, and I know that they've, they work with the youth as, as well, and they, they work more so uh, on the artistic side. Yes. Um, well, in St. Mary's, again, I, I, I continued um, what I was doing in Philadelphia. I mean, I, I worked in the community in St. Mary's. I mean, I dealt with mostly the elders. I did a lot with the elders in St. Mary's because we had a lot of elders. So mm -hmm. I would go around and visit the elders and sit with them. Um, especially the ones that family members had moved on, they were by themselves. So I did a lot with the elders for my first few years um, in St. Mary's. And, and then I started working with the youth uh, with boxing. You know, I, I worked with the um, boxing club, the PAL Boxing um, League in St. Mary's, which led into um, me working with some of the young writers in St. Mary's. So, I, you know, again, I did a lot in the community and I was invited to a lot of cookouts in St. Mary's as well. Um, St. Mary's really received me because they felt that I was their savior. I mean, I was the only officer, one of the officers that they really could trust. Um, and for an example, on my first, from 2000 to 2007, I worked as a patrol officer. 2007, I took the job as a um, city marshal, which I've dealt with, and that dealt with um, enforcing the um, city codes, um, liquor licenses, licenses, um, property maintenance. And those three and a half years that I worked at the city marshal, the, the community thought I left, you know, because they didn't see me in the uniform. And they kept looking for me like, well, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Because they knew that I was there for them. And um, still to this day, I mean, my, my son Bilal easily tells me that they still asking about me in St. Mary's. So I, I had a big effect on the community of St. Mary's from how I police and how I treated them. And I treated them like I would want to be treated if I was a regular citizen, which is ironic because I've been stopped by one of my own officers uh, uh, when Bilal was 16. My son was 16, I was picking him up from work. I drive by um, a police vehicle, you know, we're approaching each other. We're the only two vehicles on the street at this time, about two o'clock in the morning. And he pulls, pulls, pulls around and pulls me over. And soon he approaches the car, you know, he sees me and recognizes, oh, what are you doing out here so late? Like, dude, I'm a grown man, I can be out here. You know, so he actually stopped me because I was a black male out that late, you know, and wanted to get in my car. You know, so then told me, oh, my third brake light was out. So that was his main reason to stop. 
So of course I went to my chief and told him that I felt that I was profiled by one of my coworkers. So um, I had to deal with that. And so I got stopped twice by two white officers when I was on duty um, in St. Mary's. So I, I dealt with that and, and felt that like, come on, man, I'm, you see me every day in uniform. Uh, <laughs> why get behind me because I'm, I'm a black male and I'm out, you know, about 11 o'clock at night and you want to pull me over. And then don't even tell me why, you know, really don't tell me why you pull me over. You know, so there's a lot of officers out there that do that. And, and, and I can see why young black males are frustrated because some will stop you just because, you know, you know they see you, you got a nice car, they want to pull you over. Um, I can, um, you call me pulling over the sheriff for the county today. And this will show you how professional that I am all the time. Now, I didn't know he was the sheriff when I first pulled him over. But I still would have because he did a, you know, he did a traffic violation. So when as I approached his vehicle, I could see his face in the mirror. And I said, oh, that's Sheriff Bill Smith. But when I approached his car, I did what officers are supposed to do. Good afternoon, sir. I'm Officer Muhammad from the St. Mary's Police Department. The reason for I to stop today is because you made a proper uh, you made an improper right-hand turn. And you know, so I didn't stop and say, oh Sheriff, how are you doing? I did my job. And he thanked me for pulling him over. And I just told him to be careful. I mean, like, Sheriff, you got to be careful now. There's other motorists out here on the road. You know, so that's how officers are supposed to treat everyone here she pulled over. You know, I have to tell you why I stopped and just be polite and state my reasons why I'm out with you and then ask you for your credentials and go about my business whether I'm going to give you a citation or not. That's how officers are supposed to handle his job. Let's let's go back to the conversation you had with with your captain when you uh, indicated that you felt like you were being profiled when you were pulled over. What was the response from your captain? Oh, um, basically they um, they didn't bring him in the room with me, but they made him go to sensitivity classes, uh, and they especially they made him take a cultural um, diversity class. So they sent them away for about two you know two weeks of training. Um, this particular officer. The other officer was from another department, but it was, he was from the sheriff department, but yeah. he's as well every day, you know, but um, the officer that I worked with um, ended up going to cultural diversity classes. And the ironic thing about that is him and I ended up being partners and had a great relationship. I mean, so, so I mean, it's, he was just an officer that felt though he needed to pull any and everybody over and of course, it was me that night, and I made sure he wouldn't need to do that again. You know, so so that changed his way of how he communicates after that moment. He went and got the, he went and got cultural diversity training, sensitivity training, and that changed his perspective on how he should police. Okay, so talk to me about uh, what you're doing artistically for Deep Center with the kids, because not you're not just a police officer uh, and you know community activist. You're an artist, and it sounds as though you're trying to take all of those things. Uh, you know, you're not just one thing. You're, you know, many things: artist, community activist, police officer. Uh, it sounds as though you're trying to take all of those things with you into Deep Center, into that nonprofit. Tell me about the work you're doing with those kids. Oh, sure. I got involved. With Deep. I got interested in Deep. Actually, um, when I was still in St. Mary's. Mm -hmm. Um, I 
interview with them, but um, the director wasn't sure that I could make it to Savannah because it's 100 miles away. And he said, are you sure you can come up here and give us your time? And as I thought about it, I said, no, I mean, you guys are quite far away. I said, but in the future, I would probably do something with you guys. And fast forward to 2016, I'm, I come to Savannah, start working for the Savannah County School System. And my very first year as an officer here, I um, filled out the application again um, to be a deep writing fellow. And of course, I was accepted. And I worked with um, middle school students from Mercer Middle School. I had 14 um, students, me and another writing fellow. You, you do it with a co-writing um, fellow. Um, and we split the school, you know, the, the students up. I have seven, she has seven. But together, we work with all 14 students. And um, uh, the ultimate goal with the um, program is to, of course, teach them to express themselves with their writing, whether it be poetry, um, short stories, um, essays. I mean, these young ladies and young men did some tremendous things uh, while we was with them. Um, and at the end of each semester, I worked the um, spring semester that year, they get to perform at the Savannah Theater. They get to perform their poetry at the Savannah Theater. Um, I left the middle school and started working at a high school, which made it hard for me to actually work with the middle school students. So I started working with the block by block um, students, which are high students, and they do this on the weekends. And um, we prepare them to um, perform um, spoken word um, in, for, for slams. We have taken them to um, um, Brave Young Voices um, slam in um, San Francisco a few years ago. And I've actually been trying to get them to come down to your slam. <laughs> Hopefully I'll make that happen because um, uh, that's what they really wanted me to do. They wanted me to actually work with them on the spoken word side of the poetry because yeah. they didn't really have any spoken word writing fellows. Mm -hmm. um, now they have um, one of the members that used to be with um, um, Clinton Powell and on Spitfire. You know, mm -hmm. so it's a member from Spitfire that works with them now. And he does a lot well, uh, especially um, when I can't make it. So um, that's what I do with um, Deep, Deep Center. Just um, help these young writers um, express themselves. And actually, they're doing a lot right now writing about the climate of what's going on. So I'm waiting to hear them. I think their next, um, well, it's all virtually. So it's, it's going to be hard. But they get ready to do they, they Deep Speaks virtually, I think, um, the end of this month. I have to check the calendar. It's either the end of this month or, or September. They they do their own performance virtually. So, like I said, normally we'll do it at Savannah Theater, but because of COVID situation, um, everything has been put on hold, and they'll be doing their performances virtually. So I've done a lot with them. Um, I don't get to work with them as much as I used to because I'm in a high school, and our schedules are tight. Um, so I try to make at least get to hang out with them once a month. Like I said, during COVID, it's been hard um, hanging out with them, but we do it virtually. So, um, and I haven't been 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 with them virtually in a while, probably about two months, because I'm doing so much with my school. <laughs> with what we're doing, I mean, it's it's crazy what we're doing in, in the Spanish Channel School System, but we're making it work. So, um, so I haven't worked with them in the last two months, but I know they'll be doing something. Like I said, I had to check my calendar either the end of this month or September. Oh, COVID definitely makes it 
challenging to hold your your workshops and and then we're in this climate where there's so much going on uh, this has been going on for the last what four or three or four months how are you able to take your experience as not just a police officer but as african-american male and and use it as a resource to those students as they are uh, in, a, in a position right now to express themselves and not just be creative but also talk about possible solutions so we're at the crossroads right now where we're looking at the youth because they were the ones who really were, were pushing for this um, they they're the ones who are pushing for more action i've oftentimes i've compared this time to the 1960s because the youth that are out there that are really trying to turn the page are are they're they're not just one group. They are males, females of all different races, African American, Asian, Hispanic, all of them. And they're looking for this country to make that change. How are you taking your experience uh, professionally, uh, racially, community-wise, and how are you using that as a resource for those students as they look to express themselves in an artistic manner? Oh, oh great. Um, especially with Deke, I mean, they always contact me on. Well, in my police perspective, um, dealing with all issues. I mean, the justice system. I've I sat down with um, with them quite a quite a bit over the years, um, giving them my perspective of what changes can we make as as law enforcement and the justice system to stop the um, systemic racism and the systemic um, from school to um, prison pipeline. So I, I give them my perspectives, and a lot of times they're the ones that actually will lead the discussion because it's about them, and that's what Deep does a lot. Um, Deep is always allowing them to express their opinion, and we just give them, you know, our adult perspectives. And and I I, I do that a lot with them, and not just with the Deep students, but with my students at my high school. I'm always looking for their perspective of what's going on, and then just trying to guide them. Um, the best way I can without taking over there what, what they want. I just give them my input. Say, look, you know, I always told my students, look, if you want better in this school, then you have to sit down and talk to the principal and stop, you know, going about it in a, a aggressive way, you know, cussing and, and, you know, just being negative. I said, just sit down with the principal. You know, you guys got to sit down and say, you guys can take over this school anytime you want. I said, I'm the only officer in this building. By the time my backup comes, whatever you want to do will be over. I said, but let's do this constructively. If, if you want, want to be able to have better lunch, then you sit down with the teacher. I said, I don't know what changes that going to come with the principal, because that's more, that's the school board that you have to discuss with. But you guys, you guys got to sit down and voice your opinion. Why are we eat, are always eating pizza every day? I said, that's not a proper lunch that you guys should have. I said, but you guys don't like it, but you throw the food around in the cafeteria instead of sitting down with your principal. I said, throwing the food around gets you, gets you guys on lockdown, and now you got to walk to the cafeteria and take the food back to your classroom. I said, that's not the proper response to your issues. So I do, we do the same thing with Deep. We, you know, we have our own discussions, but it's always led by the, um, the youth. We give them topics, and they bring their own topics, and then we discuss what topics that they feel that they need to discuss, and we allow them to um, call the shots when, when we have our meetings. And most of the time, it's with the um, block by block students, 
beyond the high schools um, because the middle schoolers aren't, aren't able to maneuver like the high school um, students. So most of our deep discussions are with the high school students because they can get around more freely. And I'm saying it's normally on Saturdays. And so we have our high school students and that's our, our program with the high school students. That's why it's called Block by Block because we go from neighborhood to neighborhood um, discussing the challenges that the youth have today. And right now they've been discussing pretty much what's been going on in the news. COVID, um, um, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, they're discussing all that. They've been writing about all that. Um, been having meetings with the, the mayor when they can. I mean, before the, the lockdown really happened, um, they had several meetings with the city council here. So they, they've been on top of their game, um, these young writers. I mean, not just young writers, they, they are um, thinkers. They want better and they are trying their best to get better, especially here in Savannah. Mm -hmm. So what's your, what's your vision for these young writers? I know you, you just said that you took them to, to San Francisco to Brave New Voices a couple of years ago. Do you have any plans on creating a slam team? Because you have a group of writers, but that doesn't always translate into putting together a slam team. Right, right. Yeah, we, we got a few that can slam though. <laughs> it's, it's, um, me and Mark. Savannah's always had that talent though. Savannah's yeah. always, I, I love, I love when we would go up to uh, Brunswick and, and St. Mary's, but Savannah as well. Savannah came, Spitfire was the appropriate name. And I know the gentleman, Marquis, who you're referring to, he was a part of Spitfire. We had a conversation earlier this year and it just brought me back. Wow. Yeah, yeah, the first couple of years we had the slam here, and that was like we were family. Remember, like we yeah. we just go to every each other's events, and we were just supporting it because we wanted to see the older poets do something. We wanted to see the youth, and it was just beautiful. Yes, and that's what Marcus, he, he, uh, Marquis, he, he does a lot. I mean, I stay in touch with him. Uh, like I said he actually works. I mean, he actually worked work for Deep. You know, he's a, a Deep employer, employee at me. So he actually works for them. And um, and I know the last time I talked to him, he just said it's hard doing himself working for deep, you know, because he's always teaching. And I said, yeah, because I was getting ready to do the same thing, but um, they want me to just be the spoken word guy. So when they actually create that position, mm -hmm. I think I'm going there. You know, he hasn't created he hasn't created that position yet. Uh, but ultimately, um, I know they they um, the young poets get um, they get public. Um, that's the main one of our goals. They get published at the end of the year. Um, um, the slam team, I mean, we want to do it. It's just, you know, I don't know what um, Dare Duke is waiting for because he has some that can actually do it. Um, and I was actually, it's ironic, ironic today, I was actually looking at Mariah, young poet, um, a piece that she did at, at the high school because she goes to um, one of the schools I own. Um, well, she goes to my school, Savannah Early College. And um, she was on stage and she was performing. I actually recorded us and I just watched it today and was just so impressed with her. Like, oh, she, I watched her grow up, you know, from a freshman, you know, to, I think she's a, this will be her last year. This will be her senior year. So I actually watched this young poet, young lady grow up in front of my eyes as an artist. And has, I mean, she's been impressive as a freshman. You know, so I was just impressed with her growth when I was looking at it today. I said, oh my God, I forgot I recorded this. And then, you know, I was like, wow, you know, so it, it just by looking at it, she inspired me again. You know, I'm like, 
that's what I'm talking about. You know, I, I see, you know, what me and Mar Marquise have done with her and see her grow up as an artist. Um, but we have a few, I think we got about six that I knew of that would do well on the spoken word scene. Um, it's just, you know, hopefully when the COVID thing is over, we can revisit that piece and start traveling um, with these young poets. Yeah. And it happens, I, I'll let you know. <laughs> Thank you. If, if you're doing something down, <laughs> down in Jacksonville, because I always tell them about you guys. I say, I'm going to take you down to Jacksonville one day. <laughs> you know, so hopefully that will make that happen. Yeah, it will be a full circle moment because that's, that's how we started in the early 2000s. It's yes. going back and forth as going to adult open mics, and then we started working with the, the kids. and and we invited Spitfire and that was Clinton and Epiphany and he brought the kids mm -hmm. here every year and we'd go back and forth and just support one another. So what, let's, let's stick with the topic of, of the youth and the kids. What kind of issues are they dealing with in Savannah on a local level? What type of issues are those kids dealing with? Oh, systemic poverty. They're dealing with um, the racial issues here. Um, I know they, they help a lot with the homeless. They, they do do a lot with the homeless here. I mean, it, last count, there's probably about 55,000 homeless in the city of Savannah. Um, so they, you know, they, they try to do a lot with them. Um, you know, go out there and um, take them to, um, things to clean themselves up with uh, before COVID. Uh, we uh, we used to always take groceries um, and things of that nature. Work at the um, soup kitchens and place to feed them. So they they do a lot. They are dealing with quite a bit. Um, dealing with the um, the crime here in um, uh, Savannah. I mean, because I'm quite sure um, last year I think we lost one of our not one of our young poets, but we lost um, a 17 year old girl. I mean, it's it's got caught the crossfire. You know things of that nature, so they they deal with a lot. I mean, friends being killed, friends being hurt. Matter of fact, just one of my students just committed a murder. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> student that I'm like mentored forever at Savannah High School, and next I know he's in the news. I'm like, dude, you know, I'm saying to myself, what did you get involved in? Mm -hmm. you know, so, so those are the things they have to deal with, um, making sure that they stay on the straight and narrow because they get poor. Easily, these young teenagers, you know, none of the deep students, but a lot, lot of the friends get pulled into their own situations, and so they deal with that. Um, they deal with the bullying. I mean, I mean, all that cyber bullying. I mean, I actually had did several presentations in the school um, about cyber bullying. You know, so they they deal with a lot, um, and we're just trying to help them navigate through all the obstacles that are that they are faced with whether they're faced with it on, um, personally or they know a friend or, you know, a classmate that are going through something. You know, so we, try to, we just try to help them navigate through that, that piece in their life. Yeah, it, yeah, that's, wow. What, besides the work that you, you're doing, if you had a magic wand to get additional support, what would that come, like what, what form would that come in? 
uh, in terms of unconditional mm -hmm. you know, support, um, what kind of programs? Mm -hmm. From the parents. I mean, I do see a yeah. lot of parents not supporting their children. Um, and that's a, that hurts, you know, especially you know, when they drop them off. I mean, when they drop them off at school, they, it's like no communication, no, I love you, have a great day. Um, or when they do come up there, they cuss each other out. And most of the time, I'm either have to almost put in handcuffs on them for causing disturbance. Um, I would most definitely love to see a lot more support from the parents. I mean, because it's, it's truthfully, it's, it don't seem to be there um, in some of these students that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, a lot more support from the school system. Um, and see, I'm, I'm now at Savannah Arts. And Savannah Arts is a school of performing arts. And they don't even have a creative writing program. So, of course, I'm going to try to work on that piece. Uh, bring a creative writing program into the, the art school. I mean, you are the art school. Why don't you have one? Mm -hmm. You know, so, so I, mean, I, you know, I already told the principal about that we're going to work on that. Because this is my first time at Savannah Arts. But I think that's why I was moved there. Because of what I've done, you know, my performance at Savannah High School. Uh, for the art school that we, uh, art class that we had, and then of course my latest interview from WSAV, um, because they seen me do that performance in Savannah um, High School, so they wanted to revisit and interview me again about what's going on with um, COVID-19 and what's going on with um, the police brutality that's going on. So um, that was a pretty nice interview that I had for the second time with WSAV. And, um, and I think my people moved me to Savannah Arts just for that purpose, because they felt though that, you know, my talent would be used a lot better as far as the creative side at Savannah Arts. So hopefully I can um, get I the principal that. to um, oh, be open for a creative writing program at the art school. So hopefully that support will come in. Excellent. And what's the uh, number of students that you're working with at Deep um, Deep Center? Um, well, block by block, we probably work with um, about 20 um, students. The um, program each semester, we have 14 students from each middle school. I think we have nine middle schools. So we work with a, lot, a large number of students, um, normally about 65 students at home. Um, every you know semester because we do all the nine schools, well nine nine middle schools, fourteen students each nine yeah so yeah we do a lot of students a lot of students each you know we do a fall, spring and um, winter semester, so um, we do a lot of students um, throughout the whole program each year. And then, like I said, the high school, it, it, it fluctuates because um, it's not as big as the um, middle school program because it's just a matter of fact getting the high schoolers because most high schoolers are working, you know, they don't have the time. So our numbers with the high school, we have a consistent 14 that comes every time. You know, uh -huh. but we may end up 20, you know, one weekend, uh, 14 is, is a main consistent number that we have. Um, and like once, you do it one Saturday a month. We out with them once a month on Saturday. So we normally have 14 that come with us, that come out most of the time, 14 students. And they're doing well. But like I said, most of them either going off to college 
or like I said, they're working. So it's hard to get them to come when we schedule our, our own block by block, block by block systems. Definitely, definitely. Well, Bala, I want to thank you for taking the time with chat me today. Do you want to give the listeners your social media handles? Um, at Facebook, um, and I'm still working on my Instagram one because my stuff got hacked. Um, I don't know when I'm <laughs> come back and do another one. But Brother Bilal on Facebook, um, um, Bilal Muhammad uh, on YouTube, and Bilal Muhammad on Twitter. So Bilal Muhammad on Twitter, Bilal Muhammad on YouTube, and Brother Bilal on Facebook. That's where they're going to find me. Well, thanks again. And um, I want to thank you for coming on to the show. And have a great evening. Oh, thanks for having me. No problem. We'll talk soon. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Welcome to this episode entitled Bridging the Gap. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with longtime friend and fellow poet Bilal Muhammad. Bilal is an award-winning poet, writer, and spoken word artist. Now, originally from Philly, he now resides in the city of Savannah, Savannah, Georgia. He has read his work in major U.S. cities, high schools, and colleges. His poetry has been recognized by the International Library of Poetry, and he's received the Editor's Choice Award in 2003, 2004, and 2005 for his poetic artistry. He is a writing fellow for Deep Center, mentoring young writers, poets, and authors. While perfecting his craft, he has worked as a police officer for 27 years, which makes him an interesting person, artist, police officer. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation with Bilal and I discussed the duality of his existence as an artist, police officer, and community activist. He was transparent and gave some very honest responses as it related to his experiences as a police officer and as a civilian. I hope you enjoyed. This is the Smart Chronicle.